Welcome to Good Faith Reads. I'm your host, Kira Dewey, Ernest C. Hines, summer intern at Good Faith Media. Good Faith Reads is a short podcast released twice a month in which we focus on one of our book authors at Good Faith Media. We've published more than 100 titles under our Nurturing Faith book imprint, and we invite you to check them out at goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. Today's guest is Pastor Tim Moore, writer-in-residence at Sardis Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he was the pastor for nearly 20 years. He is one of the editors of Taking on the Cross, Reimagining the Meaning of Jesus' Life and Death. He's joining us remotely from Charlotte, North Carolina. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kira. It's good to be here with you and with your readers. Well, we're glad to have you. A standard question we ask authors on Good Faith Reads, tell our listeners in one sentence what the book is about. Taking on the Cross critically questions atonement theologies, which are popularly captured by the phrase, Jesus died for our sins on the cross. And it offers pathways for reimagining the meaning of Jesus's life and death. So tell us more about the genesis of the project and how you connected to and collaborated with various authors to create this book. Well, the theology of substitutionary atonement, this idea that God killed Jesus as a substitute to satisfy God's wrath against humanity's sin, has become more and more problematic over the past half century, as Christianity in general has been questioned more seriously by society. It portrays a wrathful and unforgiving God, which is accepted by fewer and fewer people, both in the church and people outside the church who might be thinking about faith. Over the past several decades, we've seen theologians like Rita Nakashima Brock and Denny Weaver and Dolores Williams, Mark Heim and James Cone describe how destructive this theology can be, particularly in the context of the United States. A few years ago, John Ballinger, Amy Mears and I were among a small group of pastors talking over dinner at an Alliance of Baptist gathering about this theological and church ministry problem. The group decided that we would ask the Alliance, hey, could we do one gathering around this topic, talk about this idea? In the process of that, we asked a couple of seminary professors, Ben Sanders and Graham Walker, to join us in the adventure, and the five of us ultimately formed the editorial team that created this book to go along with the Alliance of Baptist Gathering that was held this past spring. So most of the authors of the book are people that the five of us solicited. We knew they had an expertise in a particular area and we sought them out. Although, you know, sometimes we got turned down, <laughs> but whenever we asked somebody uh, about writing on a particular topic and they said, no, we would always come back and say, hey, you know, who do you know if you can't have write this chapter, if you don't have time to write this chapter, who do you know that could do it almost as good as you? Um, so we got some great leads that way. Um, we also, the Alliance of Baptists also put out kind of a broad request, said we're going to tackle this topic uh, at our uh, gathering in a year. Does, you know, we said, send us your ideas, send us your abstracts for, for an essay. Um, I have yet to personally meet Mark Boswell but he sent in an amazing abstract about walking with the crucified in a hands-on ministry that he directed in the Louisiana Delta. All the authors are Baptist or have been Baptist uh, with just about all of them 
having relationships with the Alliance of Baptists or the American Baptist churches or the Progressive National Baptists or the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Given that these are all essays by different authors, what can you tell our listeners about what themes tie them all together? So the book has three main sections. Uh, it begins with theological and biblical discussions from various perspectives that reimagine how to look at Jesus's life and death on the cross. For instance, Beth Ritter Kahn, who's a professor at Belmont University in Nashville, uh, uses a feminist theological approach to interpret the second creation story and then to disconnect it from this story about the cross. Anthony Neal, a professor at Mississippi State University, writing from a black liberation perspective, connects the experience of the cross with the experience of the lynching tree in our nation's history. His chapter clearly rejects this idea of a white American secular Christianity that has operated as an undercurrent in our society and in our churches for hundreds of years. Amos Lopez Rubio, a Cuban Baptist pastor, writes from a Latin American liberation viewpoint and sees the cross as Jesus's identification with the crucified peoples of the world. Every chapter in this section addresses the cross from a theological or biblical perspective from peoples outside the white church experience. For readers who identify as white or who worship in historically white congregation, this section will give you a panoramic view of how Jesus's life and death is being reimagined in the world. The second section offers church resources. Atonement theologies are embedded in our liturgy, our hymnody, the practices of communion and baptism, and faith formation. So this section offers churches that may want to either reject or just eschew substitutionary atonement. It offers them new pathways for worship and for faith formation. For instance, Anita Peoples, who is one of the pastors at First Baptist Church in Seattle, has a chapter titled Accompanying Children in Constructing a Theology of Jesus's Death. It is one of the must-reads in the book. If you work with children, if you work with young people, you got to read that chapter. Because the way many churches today teach children about Jesus's death can be traumatizing. Anita offers not only age-appropriate guidelines for discussing Jesus's death, but then provides a theology that doesn't begin telling second graders how sinful they are. Laura Mayo, who's a pastor in Houston, has a chapter on believers' baptism. Pastors Amy Mears, Russ Dean, and Deb Conrad offer different chapters on church liturgy. Aretha Fluker, who is at Bright Divinity School, discusses the way womanist theology describes Jesus as a co-sufferer and co-conspirator, and how this can offer hope and transformation through the processes of faith formation. In our final section, we offer tools for ministries of pastoral care and justice ministry. Michelle Nickens, who is pastor of a church in Northern Virginia and who is currently the vice president of American Baptist Churches USA, has a powerful chapter on how atonement theology has provided a shield to protect domestic violence abusers and how liberating us from this theology can help liberate women and children from their male abusers. Katie Edwards, who's a staff member in American Baptist Churches, 
discusses how storytelling can provide racial healing. When we change the story, we change mindsets. Rodney Sadler, who is professor at Union Presbyterian Seminary, but he's still a Baptist, explains how the salvation of faith alone enabled slave owners, Ku Klux Klaners, and Jim Crow segregationists to do terrible, terrible things to Black Americans and then righteously sit in church on Sunday mornings with their sins forgiven. He calls us back to a theology and a ministry of justice that reconnects faith and action. And finally, Elijah Zaraway, who is co-director for the Alliance of Baptists, provocatively asks, will the white church hear the cry of Black blood, connecting Jesus's experience with the experience of Black Americans historically and today? So the whole book, Kira, critiques atonement theology and reimagines the meaning of Jesus's life and death, first through theological and biblical discussions, then by offering church resources for worship and faith formation, and then finally by providing tools for pastoral care and justice ministry. Fascinating. Thank you so much. We'll be right back with more Good Faith Reads. Hi, I'm Tyler Tankersley, Senior Pastor of Ardmore Baptist Church, and we invite you to join us for our newest podcast called Speaking in Parables, where we explore the stories that Jesus told and how to apply them to our lives today. You can find more information at ardmorebaptist.org slash speakinginparables. Welcome back to Good Faith Reads. Today, we're joined remotely by Tim Moore, editor of Good Faith Media book, Taking on the Cross. I'm Kira Dewey, Ernest C. Hines, summer intern at Good Faith Media. Tim, could you tell us about your editing process? Did you have to sort through which essays to include? Or did you know from the beginning they would all be part of the final product? How much of the process was editing content versus checking for grammatical errors? How did you and the other editors divide the work? Please just talk about the process. We knew we wanted a text for the church. We didn't want an academic book where Sunday school classes or small groups would discuss these ideas and then place the book on a shelf someplace and go back to doing church the same way as before. We wanted to offer practical resources and information that churches can use to transform their ministries. And we knew we wanted to hear from voices beyond the white church, something beyond patriarchy. We wanted to hear womanist and feminist voices, Black and Latin American liberation voices, and voices beyond the U.S. American experience. We wanted to get beyond the echo chambers of like-minded people just talking to each other. I guarantee every reader will come across ideas they have never considered before. One or more of these authors are going to broaden your horizons, and readers can then decide how far they want to walk towards those horizons. But if you are adventuresome, there are going to be several new horizons awaiting you. One of the writing challenges we gave our authors was to keep their chapters short. We wanted a text that Sunday school classes and small groups could read and study together. And my experience as a pastor told me that busy, hardworking, family-raising church members don't have hours on end to read in preparation for a class. 
So all the chapters are about 10 pages long and each come with four or five questions at the end to assist a teacher. As you might imagine, not all of our authors were able to contain their enthusiasm in 10 pages. That's really where the editing process began. Um, Amy Mears and I were the main editors. She and I read every single chapter in the book very closely. Then Ben and Graham and John offered a third reading. We sent every chapter back to the original authors, either with changes that we made and we just said, you got to change this or with suggestions that we would like them to consider before writing their final draft. And every author was appreciative of the process. It was a collaborative effort between the editors and the writers. So we kind of edited three ways. We edited for length, get it down to 10 pages. For audience, we had to remind some authors, we were writing this book for regular church people and their pastors, not as an academic book for college professors and PhD candidates. Though we hope seminaries will use it to teach their students how to minister in the church. And finally, we did edit some for clarity. Did the author uh, lay out three questions on the first page, but only answer two of them throughout the, throughout the chapter? Uh, did the author juggle too many ideas? We had some authors that had super great ideas, but they just, you couldn't do them all in 10 pages. So we had to say, focus on one or two ideas, work towards that. It was a team effort, three pastors, two theology professors, uh, and Amy's kind of a hybrid. She's a pastor, but she also has a PhD. Uh, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to work with such great ministry practitioners. Amy, Ben, Graham, and John are all doing outstanding ministry in the classroom and in the church and in the world. And to have brought together 25 different voices, when you include Rita Nakashima Brock, who graciously wrote our foreword, it was an amazing process. I can absolutely understand trying to keep your work concise and small enough for certain assignments. That would be my largest problem with my assignments in school. I was the one who would turn in essays double the length required, and that did come to haunt me a few times. <laughs> of course. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes people just can't contain it. It's a skill we need to learn. And editors can help authors do that, right? It's exactly. easy for other people to say, you got to shorten this and do it yourself. That's why we need you guys, exactly. An important note to all our listeners, we at Good Faith Media are always accepting book proposals. Our authors engage with an experienced team of editors, designers, and marketers to produce and sell books on a variety of topics. If you have a book proposal you'd like to run by us, head on over to goodfaithmedia.org bookstore for more information. That's goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. Tim, I wonder if you might read for us a sentence or two from the book that you think is critical for listeners to hear, either because it's representative of the book or because you think it's especially important for folks to hear right now. Sure. So let me offer a couple of uh, options. Uh, one comes from the concluding chapter by Elijah Zayerway. Kelly Brown Douglas's conclusion that neither Jesus nor Black people had to suffer and die puts the whole matter of atonement and the meaning of Jesus's suffering and death in perspective. If Jesus didn't have to die, then it is not Jesus's death itself that saves us. It is his life. His death is significant because it draws attention to the life he lived, a life struggling for the liberation 
and emancipation of people suffering around him. His life is a testament to how we should live, lives that struggle for the liberation and emancipation of oppressed people around us. His death is evidence of the fact the world continues to reject the life that Jesus tried to live, and the pile of dead black bodies that lies before the white American church is evidence that it too has rejected the life that Jesus has proposed, a life that calls for complete solidarity with the poor, oppressed, marginalized, and crucified people of the world, a life devoted to alleviating human suffering. And then I thought also I would read a short piece from our conclusion. Crowned Holy Roman Emperor on Christmas Day, 800 CE, Charlemagne soon instructed Rome's bishops to develop a new Eucharistic rite that would help unify his rule. The Carolingian liturgy presented the Lord's Supper as a sacrifice of Christ's body changing the Gallican symbolism of the meal from a thanksgiving of the resurrected Jesus to a reenactment of his death. By the time Anselm wrote Why God Became Human in 1095, crucifixes had become commonplace in Western European churches, and no one could remember when the Lord's Supper was a celebration of the resurrected Christ. Nearly 300 years passed between Charlemagne's edict and Anselm's theory of atonement, yet the two are undoubtedly linked. Performed in worship, represented by art, substitutionary atonement was born out of a Christian culture of its day more than the intellect of one person. It was floating in the air of every chapel and cathedral in Europe, scattered by the crumbs from bread broken at every mass, waiting to land in someone's quill and ink to give it language. The chapters in this book were written not to rival Anselm or Calvin, but to scatter different crumbs from the communion table, to add a fresh scent in the air floating in sanctuaries, to change the conversation by reimagining Jesus's death on the cross and its meaning for worship, faith formation, and the ministry of God's peace and justice in the world. Beautiful words for a thought-provoking idea. Thank you so much again for being here. For the audience, our guest today on Good Faith Reads has been Tim Moore, editor of Taking on the Cross. This book, along with more than 100 other titles, is available as both a print book and ebook at goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. Tim, we appreciate you being our guest today. Thank you so much, Kira. 